Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, welcome to Spinning Plates. How are you? I hope you're all well. In true working mother fashion, uh, as uh, we are all doing now that we're all working from home all the time, uh, I'm in the garden with uh, two of my smalls, so you'll hear them in the background, no doubt. Uh, This week is my conversation uh, that I recorded with my mum. We recorded it back in March, um, just before lockdown. Went round to her house, um, was allowed to hug her and all that stuff. So it's very strange listening back. It's not that long ago chronologically, but it feels like a lifetime ago in terms of how things have changed since then. And I'm going to be really honest, I found this the hardest of all the interviews I've done in all the podcast chats. Uh, This was the hardest. Um, Hold on a second. Kit, you can have it in a second, but let me... Yes, you can go and finish it, that's fine. Kit wants to finish his popcorn from yesterday. That's quite reasonable, isn't it? Yes, he can finish the bag. Um... But, uh, yeah, I found it really hard interviewing my mum. I guess it's because, A, I don't have loads of experience as an interviewer anyway, so that's still quite new. And B, she's very close to home. She's talking about her own life and the child in question while she's working is me. So I'm sort of responsible for the good and the bad, aren't I, with how it affected what she got up to. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I I found it really lovely to talk to her about it. There's so many things you don't normally talk to your mum about, like how becoming a mum affected them. You don't really think about pre your pre-mother mum, do you? You don't think about them and the life they lived before you came along. You don't normally, unless they keep reminding you, I used to have time to myself before you. <laughs> anyway, 
I hope you enjoy it. It was recorded around my mum's house and her comfy sofas. That's my four-year-old in the background. And um, I'm going to go and disappear into the kitchen, make myself a cup of tea, as I like to do while I have a listen to. And uh, see you on the other side. So we've talked about motherhood and being a working mother and all aspects of motherhood and working <laughs> like countless billions of times since I had my first baby 15 years ago but um there's actually still a lot of stuff we probably haven't really spoken about about when you had me actually. well also we've never had a long conversation about it it's usually been piecemeal hasn't it about one particular aspect of what's yeah. happening or what I remember and mm-hmm. yeah not, we haven't addressed it in no. the course of an half, half an hour or so no and also probably I'll ask you something and then it'll be in amongst something else and exactly. the kids will be here or whatever yeah um but yes, um, it's really nice to talk to you about these things because basically I think the way that you raised me and the fact that you were a working mother has had such a massive... Well, it's, it's basically formed the template of how I... the kind of mother I wanted to be and the kind of where I wanted to approach my work. And even now that I've had I'm sort of five babies in, I still take comfort from the fact that you were doing all of this before me. Because when... When you had me, what what was going on with your work? Because everything that people would know you for is all since you've been a mother. Yeah, which... it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I I'd, um, I wasn't long out of drama school, really. And I just, I'd had a, a couple of jobs. I mean, I was really lucky in that I worked really quickly once I left. And I'm aware that that's happy and unusual. Mm. So I was sort of trolling along quite nicely. And then um, for my agent, certainly put a, a fairly large spanner in the works. <laughs> By, by not planning to get pregnant, um, mm. but nevertheless, from the moment I knew I was, it never occurred to me that I would be your mum. You know, I didn't ever think of an alternative. Um, it's a funny thing, though, because I was, I was working at the time and I was feeling a bit, this will sound really daft, I was feeling a bit queasy mm-hmm. in the morning. And I went to the doctor across the road from us, who I'd never actually been to before. We, we lived then in St. Margaret's, in um, a flat that was part of a bigger house. And opposite us was a whole doctor's practice with this ancient small doctor, sort of walnut-sized doctor, who <laughs> used to come in and out, to my deep fascination, really, because he just seemed to inhabit this entire house on his own. Mm. I remember going over and saying, you know, would you, would you, would you take me on as a patient? And yes, and I, you know, I've had this. And then I listed my symptoms. You know, I'm feeling a bit queasy and generally feeling a bit tired. And he diagnosed gallstones <laughs> almost immediately. And then he tapped my tummy with a little rubber hammer and said, yeah, that was definitely what it was. And how has having gallstones influenced your creativity? Well, <laughs> weirdly enough, it influenced my medical knowledge because even as I was leaving his surgery, I thought, but I think I'm pregnant. And I oh. hadn't even thought that before. It was only having it wow. so clearly refuted that I thought, <laughs> A, this man's an idiot, and B, I'm probably pregnant. And I was just finishing off this um, television play. And, uh, you were tw- 22 at this point, weren't yes, you? Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, we were just doing the last scenes. And my first thought, actually, to be perfectly honest, was nobody must know. You know, I must just keep this a total secret because mm. my character's not pregnant. Mm. I haven't been pregnant up till now, as far as I knew. And um, the woman who was directing it, who was a very lovely woman, uh, on the last day of shooting said to me, Oh, and by the way, um, congratulations, because I'm pretty sure you're pregnant. And she just sort of sensed it, because it was really early. Wow. Really early on. Really early. Oh. And it was true. 
Um, but then I did, I did spend my entire pregnancy feeling like the world's cleverest person, actually, because I didn't know anybody with a child. You know, obviously none of my contemporaries were mothers then. You know, mm. I, I was 23 when I had you. But my mum, your grandma, had me when she was 23. Mm. So I knew it was possible. Yes. <laughs> and I knew that young motherhood was a, was a good thing, actually, because it never occurred to me that she was anything other than very present for me. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Although I don't think it was a psychologically th- um, imperative thing that I was then going to be a mother at that age because I was really ambitious. Mm. You know, everything I'd ever wanted to do in life was directed towards being an actress. Every single choice I made at school, including leaving school very early, was all about going to be an actress. And that was such an obvious thing to me. But although I thought at some point, yeah, really, I definitely do want to have children, I hadn't really thought when (laughs) or how that would work. And, you know, I was obviously, as an actress, I was incredibly freelance. And Robin, your dad, had only just started out in his career too. So we were both at that stage where you're just thinking, right, this is going okay. And all of a sudden I had to go, well, it is going okay. Yeah. (laughs) And in fact, a part I'd been up for that I was offered, um, they then took away because I was pregnant. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. And, yeah, that's Actually, it does go pretty deep. <laughs> but I, I did feel really clever. I just thought, oh, that's amazing. And to be perfectly honest, it never occurred to me that it would work out. And I think that strange, completely unfocused optimism has got me through most of my life choices. Because I've only ever chosen to do things yeah. where when you tell people that's what you want to do, they don't go, oh, you know, dentist, for example. Dentist, great. You know, you could be in private practice, you'll never be short of work. If you say actress or writer, the first thing people do is go, it's really tricky, actually. Hardly anybody makes it. I don't know if you know, you know, the yeah. employment figures are really poor. And, you know, if you say you want to write, they go, hardly anybody it's published, actually. And even if you do, it's really, you know. So I've just unwittingly made all these choices, which weren't really choices at all. It yeah. turned out to be things that tested my optimistic resolve to the nth. That's amazing you don't even remember. So you're 22, just out of drama school, all these ambitions. But it, it, it still didn't really occur to you to think this is... This could be quite tricky now to no. have a baby and all this stuff. I think probably because I had absolutely no plan to have a child. I think, in a way, and this is a really terrible thing to say, I feel a bit sorry for people who plan to become a parent because I think then you focus on this ideal of how it's going to be and how your life will be restructured and some of that's pretty scary and some of it seems possible with a lot of help and other bits of it are completely unimaginable but you're still nevertheless swapping a lifestyle for another and I never had that. I just thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be an actress with a child then. That's, okay. that's who I'm going to be. So, you know, I, and I did work really quickly after you were born. Yeah, really was it quickly. six weeks? Well, I got the job at six weeks, yeah, and started filming at 11, yeah. So how, did you have to audition sort of heavily pregnant or I, with a tiny baby? No, or? I auditioned after I'd had you. Um, this was for... This was for Jigsaw. Jigsaw, okay. Yeah, and the, the lucky thing was that Clive Doig, who is still a friend... Uh, was, well, he is an extremely eccentric person. Plus, he loves the idea of more babies in the world and the people oh. who have them. So when we were first going to start rehearsing, he said to me, oh, you can bring her to rehearsal. Did you? And I knew perfectly well even then that that meant I would not rehearse properly. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, I then thought, oh, I'm going to need, you know, I'm going to need someone to look after you. And again, if I look back, there were bits about it that worried me. 
because I was going to be leaving a very small baby. But I think because, partly because of this, oh, it's going to be okay, and also because my mum was around then, mm. you know, and, and although she wasn't a terribly hands-on grandma in the way of, you know, our babysitter, countable numbers of times she babysat, actually. But she was there as a support in this idea and the fact that it was all going to be okay and that I could manage. And I thought I need, I need uh, you know, somebody to look at. It would be a temporary thing because I couldn't afford to pay for full-time childcare. So I'll find someone, you know, prof- ideally a bit older than me and, um, you know, somebody really experienced. And the girl who looked after you was 18. <laughs> Wow. But she was the eldest of five, funnily enough. Oh, okay. So she lots of baby practice. And she was delightful, really lovely girl, just Aww. easy and patient. And what for her, looking back now, you know, <laughs> to my precious, practically newborn infant. Yeah. And then go off filming. To an 18-year-old. Yeah. Pretty miraculous behaviour. Pretty reckless. <laughs> or, um, yes. if, um, just in case it was audible, Angela, the dog was now falling asleep on the floor and that snoring was not me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm so used to that. <laughs> yes, people might think it's either of us, really. That's, yeah, exactly. that's the danger, yeah. Yeah, she um, says she's quite a young 64, but actually, if you heard her breathing, it's just like, <laughs> whoa. Um, but I suppose, well, th- for me, thinking... Uh, I mean, I suppose it's always quite hard to imagine um, previous generations and, and being young mums, because you sort of always hear about how people are leaving it later and later to have their first baby. So I suppose I imagined that when you had me in the late 70s, then maybe you might have had some peers that had babies, but you didn't. No, no. didn't know anybody. Um, which, again, made me feel pretty clever. And also pretty, I don't know, I think I'm quite lucky in that I've always been very generous with my babies. I like seeing other people holding them. Mm. And I like I like the idea that... You were a very social baby anyway, but I like the idea that you would be held by other people and that you would see what their faces look like or hear what they said. And I like, I like sharing. That's fine. I don't like sharing anything else, actually. It's definitely trickled down to me as well. I'm, I'm very much like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why I don't think we've ever really acknowledged that before, but I definitely feel exactly the same And way, And with the people who help look after you as well. Yeah. You know, and, and I know, particularly with Christine, who was our mm. nanny for a long time, mm. um, if any one of you went to Christine before you came to me once you'd fallen over or something had gone wrong, I genuinely never thought anything other than I've chosen the right person then, you know. I yeah. never thought they're replacing me, but they are helping. You mm. know, they're genuinely helping bring up, and particularly with Christine, doing a lot of the things that um, I would have balked at simply because I don't like being outdoors in, in a driving rain, touching a small boat to a tree in Richmond Park. I just don't. But Christine did. <laughs> I mean, Christine was when I was, I think, 11? No, later than that, earlier than that, rather. Uh, yeah. Maybe from, was it when Jack was born? Yeah, around, yeah. Because, yeah, because she started when we were still in St. Margaret's. Oh, that's right. So there was a bit so, of time when it was just me and her, I think. Yes, a little bit, um, yes. So maybe when I was about seven then. Yeah. But, but between having me to having any of my siblings so I didn't have Jack till I was eight mm-hmm. and that was in a whole different place and with my stepdad John rather than my dad so there's quite a lot that happened in that beginning bit that was just you and I yeah I mean my dad and you split up when I was four mm-hmm. so the, the, I suppose there's a lot of things happening there so beginning bit so you did jigsaw but what about things like Doctor Who and all those other was that all around the same sort of time that was Doctor, yeah, Doctor Who was around then too Okay. And then Blue Peter was... Yeah, you were four when I started Blue Peter, weren't you? So, yeah. yeah. But I did three series of Jigsaw. 
Okay. So, yeah, from the time you were born, sort of, I mean, one a year, basically. Yeah. Until Blue Peter. It's funny, my memories of Jigsaw, is uh, because I was so little, um, I mean, it's still quite a quirky TV programme that not even people my age necessarily <laughs> remember. And it seemed to be quite abstract and a lot of crazy stuff happening. A lot of crazy stuff. So there'd be, there was a, like a talking character that was a piece of Jigsaw puzzle. Yes. And Jig. Jig. And then there was a character called Nosy Bonk. With Nosy Bonk. Scary oh. mask. Nosy Bonk, because my co-presenter, Adrian Headley, mm. was, was a mime mm. and had trained at Lecoq, apparently. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. She's where mimes go. <laughs> Classes must be so quiet, though. Must... <laughs> anyway, he it was a brilliant mime. He was a brilliant mime. But one of the characters he did in Jigsaw was this Nosy Bonk character, which I think is based on a... I'm going to say German because a lot of German children's literature is pretty savage. So if it isn't German, then it's yeah. German-ish, Germanic. Um, but he, is, yeah, he doesn't speak at all. He's just this extreme character with this massive nose. He's called Nosy Bog. He's And yeah, people still come up to me and say that was formatively terrifying. Yeah, because um, on the surface of it, presenting children's TV with a <laughs> young child sounds like a really happy yeah, fellow, but it does, if it? you happen to be making a TV programme <laughs> that features really scary masks... Well, plus it, plus it was... Um, <laughs> then we had The Omen, who was Sylvester oh, McCoy... Omen, yeah. Oh, goodness, ...and David Rappaport, who were both individually and together utterly brilliant and creative. You know, they, they were... They were extraordinary people. Mm. So the bits that were recorded were, was a fraction of what was going on round and in the studio and, and in, in Clive's head, I think, quite a lot. And we, we had um, a chap called Wilf Makepeace Lunn, who was an inventor, but that meant mainly that he made such complicated machines that were doomed to never work properly on the first take. Mm. And in those days, studio time was pretty open-ended, so we'd often not finish until 11 or something. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and was that quite tricky, though, if you had me waiting at home? It, it, I don't remember it as tricky, but I think I'm quite good at editing out the trickiness. It yeah. must have been, actually. It must have been. And it must have been hard on Robin as well, because... If you talk to anybody who is absorbed in a project, and you will know this, the project becomes incredibly important. Yes. And, and it has its own flavour, if you like, doesn't it? So mm. that while you're doing it, that's pretty much all you can taste. Mm. So you do the rest of the stuff, of course, and, you know, things happen and um, add or subtract to it in whatever way. But the, the thing that gives you the most flavour is your project. Mm-hmm. And... If it's the right one, I guess. Not always. You know, sometimes those things are just, you get them out of the way. But Jigsaw was immensely satisfying to do because I was employed as an actress mm. and it was all little sketches. So yeah. I just spent my entire time raiding a dressing up box and pretending to be someone else. And then I was doing bits to camera because it was also a competition. It was a wordplay competition. And at the beginning and end of it, we'd announce the winners and we'd then say where you had to write to to claim your prize and all that kind of thing. And then people started saying to me, have you ever thought about presenting? And I was massively offended. Oh, okay. Really massively offended because I was an actress. You know, there was obviously going to be a place that leased the RSC waiting for me and I couldn't understand why people were so insistent that I might consider another career. So what made you say yes to going along to the Blue Peter audition then? Um, well, just, just to backtrack a bit about the, the difficulty bit. It's funny because when, when we talk about that time, which was just you and me, mm. I remember it both incredibly fondly. I mean, it is probably the basis of our relationship, mm. that, because because I had you, because I was going through extreme unhappiness, as most people do with a divorce, mm. and 
I, you know, there's no point in dwelling on all of that, but it did mean that there was a focus outside it. And I would, I would love to have thought I could have protected you from that. And actually, I know I can't, couldn't. And that's had a massive impact on you too. But it also meant that I was still walking along in the same way, if you know what I mean. Noth- nothing was happening to make me think I shouldn't be doing this, either divorcing my husband or carrying on with my career. But I had this little hand in mine all the time, and that was really important. I think over that time, I probably behaved selfishly as well. I probably didn't think about much else sometimes. But if I was to either say it to anybody else about how to behave or to justify it, I would say it was probably just preservation. It was probably just a way of getting through and making sure that at the end of it, hopefully, there's a patch of clearer ground and the sun coming through. And then when it was you and me after we were apart and we had that time when we were living together, as it were, and Mm. just you and me, I remember that as an extremely precious part of my life. And uh, it is an unrepeatable part. You Mm. You couldn't do that with either of the others. They have a very different home life. But it was tough. And I probably did behave badly because I was also a comparatively young woman. And in that selfish way, I was going to have a career and I was also going to have a social life. So, yeah, yeah. probably not my finest hour, some of that. Well, it's funny, though, because um, I can understand why you might think like that because I know that for Jack and Martha, who were born when I was eight and then 11, everything was very different and a lot more of a stable, happy home life. Mm. Um, alongside work that was probably a slightly different shape because certainly, well, actually Jack and Martha were both born after Blue Peter, yeah, so yeah. your way. your working week changed, shifted, and so the time that you'd had when you were doing Blue Peter and going through the divorce and it was just the two of us, um, as you say, it's unrepeatable. But actually my memory of that, even though I can understand that it's different, it just shows you that so long as you're doing your best and, you know, you're still... Um, keeping good communication with your child and spending time together and um, making them feel safe and loved. There's so much about it that you probably would have, at the time, felt really guilty about, but actually that's, it just doesn't stay as an overwhelming theme. I can't remember things like that. I, I mean, I that's, really like... good. that's genuinely <laughs> really good to hear. I mean, I know that because, you know, every other weekend you went to your dad, so those were my weekends of more extensive play. And also... <laughs> You know, um, Grandma and Grandpa, my parents, were living around the corner. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about Grandma and Grandpa because um, Grandma sadly died when I was 11, so I still even now feel like it's such a loss to me. I would love to have had that relationship going forward. And oh, She would have had such fun with your career. She would have absolutely loved it. There's yeah, and it would no be doubt. lovely seeing her with, with all her, her grandbabies yeah, as well. Yeah. Great grandbabies. Yeah. Um, but when... When you were young, Grandma worked, didn't she? No, not till I was 16. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't no, realise no, no. that. No, because, you know, Grandma was in the army, mm. so we were moving around. And in those days, army wives just stuck with their partners and had to land somewhere completely new and establish new friendships and were definitely kept in the house. I don't remember a single one of the women then working, not even in a dilettante, you know, making cushion covers for other women. Nothing. They did nothing. They did nothing. And they did nothing with exactly the same set of people. It's wow. a really... It's so specific. Yeah. There are probably some elements of it that survive now. 
But it's funny, a, a friend of mine is going out with a chap in the army and they are going to stay on his base in this country and she is looking for a job in that area because there's no way that she's not going to work. There's mm. no way. Even if, you know, they have to move in two years, there's no way she's not going to work. But that was very... Yeah, my mother married young, obviously, because she had me at 23. So she had been a nurse and then gave everything up. I said, I didn't realise that. So she nursed before she had you? Yes. Oh, oh. yeah. And then, um, I mean, way before, you know, she, she got married, she left, she, she became an army wife. Which must mean and then when I looked about back... two minutes then, if she yeah. was already... Yeah, well, she... From 17. Wow. Yeah. But... What I feel now that I, again, can't sort of say to her is, you poor girl, because she ended up with these... She had no parents by then. Uh, well, her father died when I was three, so effectively not, and also she was abroad. And her sister, Auntie Betty, to whom she was very close, lived on the other side of the world. Mm. So there was this really young woman, newly a mother... <laughs> sort of in this weird situation of not really connecting to anybody around. Mm. And Grandpa, also parentless by then, mm. <laughs> and his only brother, my Uncle John, died when I was five, was killed in a car accident. So, you know, at the time, of course, they were just my parents, but I look back and think by the time he was 29, Grandpa had lost everybody in his family. Wow. Everybody. So there were the, these sort of rudderless orphans, really. Yes. Really adrift. They must have been really adrift. So it's, it's some testament to both their very, very different strengths of character that they did manage to hold us down. You know, yes. They did. Well, I wonder, even though on the surface of it, um, being very ambitious and working and deciding to you know, go for your career alongside raising children would seem incredibly different to what grandma was doing. But then the nature of your work means that you actually have to do a similar thing of setting up camp and establishing whatever you're That's doing true. in the here and now as, a, as home and as working. So there's, there's sort of, it's actually not maybe as dissimilar. If you had a more of a sort of stable nine to five job, it's slightly different. Yes. But, but because with acting and presenting, it's your life is whatever your current project is. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of, and you have to make new friends within that environment. Absolutely, and, and you do it really quickly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite artificial, but also very good fun. And you also, um, you bond over this common project as well, which I've always found really exciting. I don't know if I'd have felt the same about working alongside having a family if I was doing something that required me to just be away every single day. And mm. I've never, I've never done anything other than marvel at that, really, because... The great thing about acting is that you get lots of time when you're not. Mm. <laughs> it's, called, it's called unemployment, basically. <laughs> and there's no resting, whether there's no euphemism. The only good thing is that right the way through my, my acting career, there were very few times when I didn't know when my next job was coming, even if it was three or four months off. And to an actress, having a job three or four months off means you are employed. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just going towards that point. Yes. You know, somebody somewhere wants you to do the thing you say you do, which is very satisfying. But, yeah, you know, I'm sort of thinking, you know, I was doing plays and stuff as well. I, you know, I was working in... When's um, that? Sorry. When you were little. Oh. You know, in that time. I guess, before yes, Before Peter, you know, I went to Leeds and Harrogate and the Royal Exchange and the Orange... I mean, I was, I was all over the shop, really. Yes, doing a lot. I was doing a you lot. You didn't seem to have any guilt about any of this. <laughs> I, have, I do have guilt. I do have guilt. Do you really? Yeah, of course I do. Of course. Oh. Yes, yes. I, I don't think that there's any parent who doesn't get simultaneously handed a small 
parcel weighing approximately six pound four ounces and a, an equally measured parcel of guilt. You are who gets it right. Even even the things that you're really enjoying, you're thinking, is this is this really what I should be doing? You know, if it's letting your children run a bit wild, are you doing that right? If you're reining them in a bit, is mm. that right? You know, you're never, I don't think, going to get to a point where you think I've really got the balance right. Yeah. I would quite like to meet those people and also not. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't know. imagine being friends with them. Yeah. But I, no, I'm massively guilty about it. But I'm, I'm guilty in a kind of... Um, retrospective allowance I'm probably quite generous with myself too in that what else could I have done yeah I think that's I think you have to be a bit like that actually otherwise it yeah it's a sort of pointless feeling that doesn't go anywhere isn't it yeah and I think was it tricky then to talk to grandma about about working and raising a young child if she hadn't really experienced the same thing no she was she was very Excited about what I was actually doing, which is oh, a big help. That's that, nice. You know, she was... Um, in fact, when she died, Grandpa said to me, you have lost your biggest fan. Oh, <laughs> Which is true. But also, she was pretty good at just spotting when things were going a bit wild, mm. you know, and just saying, remember, remember. So if he's any little, remember. Not, not in... I can't remember any... I can remember one or two, but I wouldn't say. I think there are... There are times when she definitely got hold of me and said, it's all very well, all this, but this bit's really important. And that only needed to happen briefly for me to know she was right. Yeah. And I would have been, I think, aware of it too. Yeah. Because there is a kind of... I think anyone who's gone through a divorce feels slightly wired on the other side of it. You know, you've been through something very traumatic. Well, also, you'd got started going out with my dad when you were only 16. Yeah, So exactly. there's a lot of living that you'd given to yeah. your marriage. Exactly, yeah. Suddenly you're, yes. you don't have to adhere to that. And anymore. promises that you make to someone who you love very much and with whom you have the prospect of a shared future, and suddenly that's all changed. And you feel... I remember thinking... Oh, now I'm just, I'm that divorced woman and having an idea that was still based on something I'd probably thought about when I was 10 about what that felt like. And even now, I think, you know, when people are going through it, I think, of course, it's a, if it's a necessary evil, you need to do it. But I, I want to just hug them and say, it's it's not going to be fun. (laughs) Not for a long time. It's not going to be fun. And it's hard. And the, the, the really sad thing about it all is that obviously both Robin and I are now happily remarried have other families you know we share all of that with you but what we don't share are memories of you and and I know that that's a to me that's a massive loss all those things about having a small person that you kind of remember and repeat and go oh god you remember Sophie always used to do and of course you know we can occasionally when we're together we do see each other but we can't do that in terms of your babies or you know and I miss that I miss that a lot I miss that a lot. That's a big loss. Yeah, no, I, I think that's something that I can really understand because you spend a lot of time when you're, you know, in a committed relationship with someone raising kids, harking back to the things and they become part of your vernacular and part of yeah. the way your family relate to each other, don't they? Oh, yes. you know, they still yeah. do that thing they did when they were four. But exactly. if, if it was three of you and then you go back to the two yeah. of you, it's you've yeah. lost that. I mean, luckily, from, from the age of seven, when, when John and I met... Um, at least we have that, you know. Yeah. That we do. We do pick up the pieces again, and and that period, it's so intense, isn't it? That time when it was just you and me, mm. two years. Yeah. Pretty intense. 
Definitely. Pretty intense. Um, but then it was also, not, I don't know if intense is the right word, but definitely <laughs> quite uh, dramatic. It's when you got together with John, <laughs> mm. which was when you were still presenting Blue Peter, yeah. um, you then got pregnant with my brother Jack pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah. Very Well, three months? So, uh, I'm so bad at timelines. <laughs> but uh, the, the nuts and bolts of it are that John and I weren't actually living together at the time. Mm. And um, left to his own devices, he might never have changed that. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him out, after all, so I've definitely taken did the you? lead. Yeah. Oh. Did you not know that? I don't think I did, actually. Oh, yeah. He says he would have got around to it. But... <laughs> Is this through your mutual friends? It, we met through a guy who was directing on Blue Peter. Okay. Who was uh, pretty very entertaining, very very smart. He and John had been at university together. Uh, not somebody I'd necessarily trust with my relationship choices. Who kept saying, "You've got to meet my friend John," and I kept thinking, "Richard, if you recommend somebody, um, here are the hills, <laughs> and there I run because you wouldn't know." Uh, but we did. We met over a Sunday lunch, and I had you with me. And my abiding memory of that is that we were in this sort of brasserie place, probably one of the early brasseries, and you had a doll with you, and the waiter thought it was funny to sort of take away your doll and pretend that he was going to... My whole focus that lunch was on you. I remember that anyway, and, and I hope that would have been the case, but I remember thinking then, don't play like that with a kid. You know, this is very little like child. I used to hate that. I think you're more cross, actually, oh, okay. you know. But it's a puzzle, isn't it? Why, why is somebody doing that? Some total stranger thinks yeah. it's funny to go, oh, you want your doll back? I don't think so. I think she's coming to France with me. All that nonsense. But John was there, and, you know, I thought he was a nice chap, but it wasn't a particular sort of across-the-table thing. I think there were about ten of us anyway. And then this chap, Richard, and I went on holiday together with his then-partner, uh, David, and um, that was a very happy holiday. Mm. I remember David teaching you to float, mm -hmm. and we just had a nice time, and we didn't do anything beyond lie about much. You know, obviously, I, I wouldn't have wanted to go out in the evenings. I just remember it was being a really relaxing, lovely mm. Greek holiday. And when we came back from the holiday, uh, the chap said to me, oh, I, think we should, I think we should go and dress up somewhere. I think we should go and have Sunday lunch somewhere smart, you know, because we spent two weeks wearing shorts or whatever. And um, so we agreed to go out for a Sunday lunch. I think it was the Savoy mm. or the Dorchester, one of those. And he said, oh, I'm going to bring my friend John. Uh. So we all went out, and John just made me laugh a lot. He was very funny. And then we went back to Richard and David's flat. And... Uh, as we were leaving, and I was saying goodbye to my friend, I said, oh, can I, can I have John's number? I might call him. And I did the next day. The only, the only thing that's slightly embarrassing about this story, because I don't mind that, but that's fine, you know, and, and I'm slightly puzzled now when very young people still wait for the bloke to take the lead. Yeah. Oh, for goodness sake, <laughs> girls. Um, but I was then doing Blue Peter, which meant that every single Monday and Thursday I was in the studio, and it was a live show, and we didn't have autocue, so you had to learn your script the night before the programme. So pretty much, for the whole of the four years... Sundays and Wednesdays were fenced off to me. You know, I didn't go out, I didn't mm. do anything, that's fine. And um, very occasionally, if I was filming or something, I'd be back late, but that was a bore because then you had this huge script and Billy Baxter, the then editor, quite rightly gave no kind of leeway the fact that you might not have come back from wherever it was in Scotland and it was the BBC, so it wasn't exactly first-class travel. You know, she was the studio queen and she just wanted it all right in the studio, mm -hmm. which is fine. And um, so I rang down. <laughs> And he was, at that point, a researcher on a film programme. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, do you want to go to the cinema? And I had a little list of 
current films. And as I recited this list to John, he said, well, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen it, because he used to go to screeners as a film researcher. So I didn't take the hint at all. We ended up going to see Alien 2. <laughs> Plus, I said to him, you know, um, I'm OK, you know, I haven't got anything on this week, apart from, you know, I'd never do anything Sunday or Wednesday. And he said, the only night I'm free is Wednesday. Oh. So I went out with him on a Wednesday because I thought, oh. So looking back, he was probably trying to say, <laughs> I don't want to go to cinema and don't want to go out. But I ignored that. And then, as you say, I rushed things through. <laughs> rushed things through by discovering that I was pregnant. And I hadn't again planned it. Again. It's a running theme. It's a running theme. <laughs> and how did you feel about telling work about that? Well, it was easier than telling John. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, they used to have this thing at the time, it just shows how old-fashioned it was, that periodically the press, searching for a story, would ring the office and say, oh, I've heard Janet's pregnant. Is that well, right? Sometimes anyway they do Anyway. That. Oh. Anyway. And I was sort of aware of this, and I thought, what I don't want is to put anyone in the position of lying about this. Mm. So um, I thought I'd better tell Biddy. I was off to do some filming, though, in the Gabon, which I really wanted to do. It was for one of the appeals. Mm. So I waited until after that. Oh. And <laughs> luckily, that did work out. The only thing was that I went off alcohol. It was about, I think the trip was probably about seven days, something mm. like that. And I went off alcohol pretty quickly, which is a nuisance, because when you're filming something like that, there's nothing better than a cold beer in the evening. So I was resorting to drinking these kind of lime sodas and mm. things. But, um, you know, obviously, means to an end and all that. And then when I came back, I then went and told Biddy. And actually, to be, to be um, to give her credit, she said to, to me, um, oh, good, another viewer. That was her reaction. Aww. Yeah. And I said, you know, sort of fudging over slightly the details of my home life, I said, you know, um, Little little brother or sister for Sophie, um, due in August. And um, then there was a slight question mark over whether they would issue another contract to me. Mm. And they didn't. And at the time, I thought that's the right thing mm. because it was hard enough doing Blue Peter with a young child, but it mm. was two. Of course, nowadays, you just think, make it work, guys. Yeah. And in fact, people who've been on Blue Peter since have had babies and carried on and that's kind of how it should be it should be your choice anyway so it, it does choice. feel like a lot has changed it has since then. i mean the good thing 80, is i was allowed to be pregnant as 87 well. yeah i was allowed to be pregnant you know i was very hugely pregnant by the time i left and i did have a very nice last year because it, by then i was presenting with karen keating and mark curry and they used to have to go off and do that sort of high up cold dangerous things then it would come back to me in the studio going gosh that looked hard it was happy, it was happy, and once John's, once the colour returned to John's cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> was he really shocked? He was really shocked. Oh, wow. He was really shocked. Because you know what he's like when he's shocked, he doesn't say anything, which is yeah. worse than somebody kind of exploding. So, And I told him we were going off for um, a New Year thing in Switzerland, and uh, I remember quite a long train journey. We flew to Milan... We had two days in Milan or something. And um, then we travelled up to Zermatt. And I remember being on a train from Milan to Zermatt without him speaking at all. Oh, wow. 
quite a long journey. That is a long journey. It is a long journey. Did he deal with uh, the news of Martha um, three years later a little bit better? Yes, because uh, Martha is in the very unusual position in my family of being a planned baby. Wow. A planned baby. <laughs> so, yeah, the only thing that wasn't planned about her, of course, is the fact that she was due in February and arrived in December. But, mm. yeah, she was she was officially a planned baby. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I tried to have a fourth baby and had a lot of miscarriages. A lot, a lot. But, yeah. Yeah, that must have been awful. It, it must have been, mustn't it? But I don't know what I did then to not make it as awful as it could mm. have been. I think you're very good at that. Um, I think as a family, we're quite good at that, actually. Getting um, on, getting on. Yes, a sort of general thing. I suppose I've always hated the idea of anyone feeling sorry for me about things. Yeah, me too. So I always try and set the tone that everything's all right, thanks. Yep. And even that might not be what I wanted to happen, that is what happened, so what's the point of dwelling? And I also think emotions like um, regret or being uncomfortable with how things went I for me I know you can't help how you feel but I suppose they serve me so little purpose and I so resent feeling that way that I'll sort of push it down as yeah, much as I can that anyway is definitely who I am yeah definitely yeah definitely. and I just I think it's it's probably not very healthy but it's just how well actually I don't know it's the only way I don't it, know live, isn't it? I don't know because along the way when things happen that that you might not have thought you'd cope with mm. then I think I surprise myself at the fact I do. And then, like you, I think, is this right then? Am I, mm. should, I, should I get some help with this? Yeah. But although I'm hugely in favour of, of therapy for people who find it useful, for me, it has either two resonances. It would either be to answer a question I couldn't answer myself mm -hmm. or to help with a situation where I was just spinning like a little top and I could not stop it and it wasn't getting me anywhere. Yeah. But I've, so far, let's find a hefty chunk of wood. I've yeah. never felt that. You know, if, if somebody told me that I'd lose my mother at 35, you know, when she was an, only in her 50s, I would have thought that would be unbearable. Yeah. If somebody told me how many miscarriages I would have, I would have thought, well, I won't get through that. But... It isn't, it isn't a source of pride that I did. It's just a matter of factness about it that at the time I was totally concerned that my three children would not think of me as someone in and out of hospital trying to have a baby. I was also, probably for Jack too, but I think I put it much more to you and Martha, that I didn't want you to think that's what childbirth was about. Mm. You know, I didn't want you to think that, you know, I think what happened to me was deeply unusual and odd. And certainly didn't make me think any of you would have exactly the same thing happen. I think it was a combination of circumstances. But I also, like you, I don't revisit things very much. I don't, because I'm such a believer in the here and now and in the practicalities of the here and now. And trying to enjoy the pleasure of the here and now, because I have a slight tendency to think if I'm feeling happy or things are going well that some weird karmic nonsense is going to punish me for that. Mm. And I've had to work quite hard on that for myself. Yes. I feel mm. a bit like that Do too. You? Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's a sort of being a slight catastrophist or a sort of... I think I, think I remember you meant describing traumatic events as being like a, having like concentric circles. So everything is like leading up to that point or from things afterwards. And so I sometimes wonder where I am in the... what circle I'm mm. in. Yeah. 
which is, I don't know, if, I, I suppose I imagine most people live like that, but, but then maybe they don't. I feel like most people probably have that impending doom kind of a feeling, but I'm so used to it, I don't really yeah. question it. It's more, it's more a, a, a direct punishment almost, as mm, though the yeah. fates are waiting and going, <laughs> you think this is going well. And actually, what's ludicrous about that is that I'm a humanist through and through. Mm. You know, I completely get all my comfort from the fact that this is all there is. Mm. You know, I don't want any spiritual connection with people past because the way that they live for me is entirely in my head mm. and in remembering shared experiences. I don't, I don't think they're all waiting. Mm. don't think they are. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, so, uh, I... I usually like to think about how being a mum has been as influenced when you do creative things, but obviously with your creativity, it all—it looks like that was kind of pretty much going on the same track with the things you wanted to do, um, and wasn't really directly influenced by the fact you had me or had Jack. Does it? No, I think that's that's right for you too, isn't it? Really, that you you express yourself creatively, but the things you're expressing aren't necessarily. Even what you're feeling at the time, they can mm. be sparked by something else. They can be, they can be sparked by something you either fear or celebrate. But mm. they're not necessarily. I must write a song about my children. You know, they're not. On the other hand, it's it's nice to have that sense of not an appreciative audience, but certainly people that it matters to. Yeah, you know, they're they're not going to feel the same about it, but they will know how you feel, and they can kind of pat you on the back a bit, or yeah. or support you when things get, don't go as well as you'd hoped. But you've recently um started writing books so just in the last um so when did the butcher's hook come out that's maybe 16 okay 
Um, so is that something that you think has sort of taken shape like that because of, you know, just other things that have been happening in your life? Or do you think sometimes if you hadn't had a young family you were raising, you know, while other things were going on, you might have written sooner? I'm glad I didn't. I'm really glad I didn't. I've wanted to for so long mm. and been very, very afraid of it for as long. And I think I would have... I think I would have been much more self-aware and mm. wanted to write to please somebody or something or... Yeah, and also I have a really lovely and different creative freedom now because I'm not thinking all the time, if this doesn't work, we can't eat. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. And it's really lucky that. And... You know, any any writer not in my position who listens to this will throw heavy objects because for a lot of people it matters in that way. Yes. And I have that restriction. Mm. That's the only one, but that restriction lifted, which is, to me, really huge. Yeah. Really huge. Because it means I don't have the same thing about deadlines. I don't have the same thing about um, how many copies might be sold. You know, obviously I do... I really want people to buy the books and, and hopefully like them, but I... I don't think I've literally got a financial investment in the same way that some people have. And I do feel genuinely blessed for that. And I also feel that because I left it so long, when I wrote a book, I genuinely wrote exactly what I wanted to rather than thinking, oh, I hope this doesn't upset anyone, which is yeah. just as well. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I hope they, I hope they sort of... You know, they get this in the way they get me. Because if you have any sort of television persona, people invest what they think you are. That's yeah. fine. And that's you know, been very enjoyable because luckily my television self is quite a nice woman. <laughs> 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 However, the, the books aren't very nice at all. And I think I would be much more hidebound into thinking, oh, what about what they're going to like, whatever that is. Because along the way, you know, whenever I'd done any writing at all, which is, you know, a little bit of journalism or something, and people had said, oh, you know, you're quite a good writer. Have you ever thought about writing a you know, children's book? Or, you know. And the only agent who approached me before um, my, my agent actually took me on was years ago, and he said, you know, why don't you write, I don't know, um, you know, children's presenter turned detective kind of thing. And I thought, because I don't read those books. <laughs> and I could probably do quite a good imitative stab of it mm -hmm. at it, but I... You know, I really, I really wanted to write this book that I got got pulled out of me like a muscle from a shell. Yeah, that's nice. That's a nice feeling. Different. Different. Yeah. Um, and when you're, when you've got um, seeing your own children become parents, like, am I the sort of mother that you thought I would be? Does that make sense? You're much better. Ah, <laughs> that's like a backhanded compliment, I guess. The bar was pretty no, I, low. I hadn't. I hadn't. <laughs> I hadn't imagined you'd be anything other than really loving, which is number one. Um, what I'm really impressed by with you as a mum is that you are so generous with your time with them. And I'm, I, I don't know if I could have done that in the same way. I can't, I can't remember a time when I've ever heard you even say to the children, no, I'm tired, I won't do that now. You know, and you when you come back that from from work, I feel not, I should... not in my not in my <laughs> hearing, and certainly they don't. They obviously don't think it's going to happen. And you know, I've I've been there when you've come in from, 
you know, a trip to Russia or something, which has involved, involved 26 internal flights and being never in the same time zone, so effectively performing at four in the morning our time and then getting on a plane and coming back. And the minute you're in the house, it's as if you have just walked out from getting the milk and you just go back into family life, which is really impressive, really impressive. And it, you don't just do it in a kind of, you know, oh, yes, I'm here now, what do you want, little person? You know, you just shed that shed work and go right back into it, which they will never know how lucky that is. They don't oh. know anything else, but it is really lucky. Plus, you are incredibly good at seeing them all, you know, having the one thing that I'm sure... You know, People say stupid things to you about having five children. <laughs> but, you know, I, I will say, oh, yes, my eldest has got five. They go, oh, five, you know, and they're already imagining some sort of, I don't know, chaos, like like opening the door of something and it's little animals jumping <laughs> out. You know. And then, you know, all oh, boys, they say, um, you know, wonderingly. And I think, yeah, but what you've actually got are five people you spend different amounts of time with and some of the time they have to do... You know, that with a baby in the house, the house always has to go to that rhythm pretty much because the baby's timetable is demanding. Yeah. Mm. But on the other hand, you know, I know that because I spend a lot of time with them that, that none of them feel cheated of your time or your focus on them. You know, I th they know, you know who they are, all of them. And I think that that stops that sort of lumping together you know the boys or you know the brothers then they're, they're not that you know and they are all so completely wonderfully individual and yeah, they could not different. be like that if they weren't encouraged to be you don't give them a kind of team thing you know we all have to do this because that works best for all of us you know there's no kind of average for them mm. so they can be incredibly expressive sometimes too much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't I know it. but then I think we were raised like that I really up. hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. Because I know that, that um, long before I had children, I used to think, I'm, I know I'm going to love my children. I, I, hope, I hope we like each other. Because I've always been aware that it's not a given. Mm. It's not, you know, it's just a kind of luck, isn't it, really? Because you can produce people who have diametrically opposing views or who regard you in a particular way yeah. that you have to get past. And, yeah. you know, I think it's really lucky if, but I felt the same with my parents. I thought if I met them independently, what nice people. Mm. So, you know, that's, that would be my biggest gift to myself is that there wasn't always, obviously a lot of the time there is, but there wasn't always a sense of obligation about seeing me. No. <laughs> no, but it's so nice that we live near each other. It's and, very nice, yeah. And I was thinking actually how it must have been so hard for you when you had Martha and Grandma wasn't there because I, I rely so heavily on our relationship and speaking to you about things and I I can't imagine what it must be like to think oh I want to ask my mum about that it was weird think. it was weird it all happened so quickly too because she'd had breast cancer I really am so bad at timelines let's say three years before mm. and then began to get complications and then was diagnosed with secondaries which in those days didn't bode well so for the last year of her life she, you know, she was only 57. She deteriorated rapidly, couldn't really leave the house. And, and I was aware, because she didn't live that far away, she know, about 20 mm, minutes away. Yeah, I remember. But I, I was aware of the fact that she, f for the person who's that ill, the outside world stops being relevant in a weird way. You know, you still want to know what's going on, but it's absolutely yeah. like looking at it through different glass. Mm, you know, there it mm. is, all is, and that's fine, but it doesn't involve you. And we both knew she wouldn't meet Martha. 
We both mm. knew that. Yeah, even with Martha hastening into the world a bit soon. But actually, that's the other thing about how you, you dealt with having the boys so ill when they were born. That's, that was amazing, because that is really hard. Yeah, but then I did have a good example of, um, of Martha, you know, being born 10 weeks early and, you know, coming out the other side and being bright and bonny and yeah. happy, like the happy side. Harder with Kit, though. Kit was ill. He was ill, yes. Yeah, I definitely, I'm glad I had my premature babies first. Yeah. Because I, then it meant I didn't have anything to compare it to. And well, that's true. It, Although, funnily enough, I thought the other way around. I thought, at least I know this is going to be okay. Mm. Because it's hard, isn't it, having a kid when the nurses who are dealing with them know much more about your baby than you do. Yeah. And all the instruments and dials and tubes and knobs and things. Know. Are, you know, and I remember when, when Martha was, she going to be in hospital about four days or something, and one of the nurses said, you know, do you want to change her nappy? I thought, I really don't. Look mm. at it. <coughs> you know, it's really hard to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you'll be quicker at it than me. And I will have lots of that. You know, there won't yeah. be a time when I'm not changing her nappy. Yeah. Well, um, I know that I, I've been thinking a lot as well about when um, having small children and your work um, can be quite... Uh, if, they, if the two worlds collide, it can sometimes... I mean, I've had some very stressful experiences <laughs> with the kids when I'm trying to do work things, and it's just a nightmare. I remember one time when I went to V Festival with... Uh, I think it was when... Might have been the feeling playing and me, but we definitely, one of us had a gig, Richard or I. And Sonny had his first ever Fanta and went completely crazy. I mean, he was four. I've never seen, oh, it was awful. He was just running around this, the whole <coughs> field. And then Richard was trying to do a TV interview and Sonny just sort of gate crashed it and Ooh. sat on the sofa and put sunglasses on and took Richard's hat off his head. It just all Which really, was, oh, it was all... It oh, doesn't I, matter, but you feel it does. Yeah, and I was stood on the side thinking, like, am I supposed to go in and get him? Yeah. Um, but I already know that I caused you issues because when you were in a play and I must have been about <laughs> th two or three yes. and you had to be asleep... I think it was well, Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream, so it's yeah. fairly key that uh, Hermia uh, <laughs> is asleep for quite a lot of it, yeah, and mm. you shouted, wake up, mummy. Did people laugh? No, they thought, why is a child in here? I think they did <laughs> laugh. I think they did laugh. And do you remember I was appearing with the father of one of your friends? Mm. Kiralee's dad was in it as well. Really? He definitely laughed. Yeah. Okay, I didn't actually know that. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, he well, definitely laughed. Sorry about that. And there was another time I remember, oh my God, when I was doing Blue Peter and I had to go filming in Liverpool, and you were ill. And um, you were running a temperature and we were doing, it was during the holidays mm. and, and it was, so it, there were lots of children around as well. And for some reason I was dressed as Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And I kept coming back to you and just sort of giving you more cowpole <laughs> and then thinking, this is not, this is not right. This is not the best mothering I could do because my little girl is actually quite ill and I couldn't do... I felt as though I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. At all. No, but then probably me lying down and having cowpaw is probably about you the did, You did lie it. down a lot. You yeah. did. That's but it's funny, isn't right. it, because then I think, what happened next? Where did we go? We must have stayed. I can't remember any of it, but I do have a very strong vision of being dressed as Alice in Wonderland mm. and trying to get cowpaw into a very hot child. Oh. Well, it's, it's funny though because I, I remember that vaguely but again, I find it all mainly just very reassuring because I feel like there's lots of times where I get that feeling of like thinking I'm not sure this is the best mothering or everything's a bit teetering on the brink or you're trying to shoehorn one project and trying to keep that kid doing that and all trying to keep it all balanced and actually I, I do, it does kind of keep me coming back to the fact well, I turned out all right and we get on so yeah. it's obviously 
so long as the big the stuff that's in bold headlines is all right. Yeah. And I think it's okay. That's true. Um, that's true. Although I do think I should take this <laughs> opportunity to apologise for the selling of the Blue Peter badges in the playground because I, I don't think I've ever done anything quite as crass as that. Like, well, I oh. hope not. But. Well, I don't know. Not long after <laughs> John and I got together, uh, oh, which of no. course we did, uh, um, he came home from work one day to find you because we then decided that the little house in St Margaret's that I'd seen we would move into Mm. and while we were waiting for it to be done because it was a bit of a wreck we lived in his tiny flat in Bell Street really tiny flat and he came home from work and you were playing the recorder his first floor window out of the window and on the street below was a Tupperware container with a note and your handwriting saying, money here for the recorder player. <laughs> Empty box, I'm pretty sure. When he came in with it and thinking, you know, because for John it was such a crash course in having children anyway. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, the first present I got from John was Christmas present of happy mm. birthday Jane balloons. I don't think he had a lot of experience with children. He thought it would be funny. Yeah, it wasn't really. It wasn't, was it? No. <laughs> he thought... I get it now. <laughs> He thought it would be funny. Aww. That is terrible, actually, isn't it? It's okay. It is. I forgive you both. Okay. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me about oh. all this, Mum. It's actually been really lovely to think about that time of your life because you don't really think you get, often get the chance to chat again about. No, how and that it's, all works. well, it's good to put it in one place and lay it all out as yeah. as difficult as some of it was, and say, was it okay? And to hear that it mostly was. Is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's more thing. than okay. And Angela's thing. just woken up, like, as if... As if, yeah, as if she's got an inner Did you enjoy that, Angela? <laughs> oh, Angela, I'll just cover her ears. Angela will never be her mother. So. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Poor doggy. <laughs> she looks all right about it. all of our nanny, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, I think whatever your parents do always influences you, but it must be quite a specific type of influence on your small people if you happen to be presenting a very popular TV programme that is aimed at the same age demographic as the small person you're raising. I mean, I know from my point of view, Blue Peter was so massive. And, I'm, I'm, you know, everybody from my class would go home and we'd all watch you on the TV. Um, was it weird. quite strange for you or did you not really sort of... Uh, were you not able to get into how I might have been feeling Well, too to much? be honest, um, because I'd been doing telly since you were tiny, that wasn't... As far as you were concerned, I don't think that was that big a deal mm. initially. Even when I first got Blue Peter, you were you were too young for the programme itself anyway, because mm. strictly speaking, it's age, aimed at 8 to 12-year-olds. Obviously, it has a slightly wider catchment, but that's that's where the, the thrust of the programme is. And I think it wasn't till uh, older kids started picking up on it that it was a problem for you, because I think your peer group would not really, you know, their brothers and sisters might have been watching it, but they wouldn't have been. And their parents might have reacted a bit, but luckily we lived in quite a sort of media gulch over there anyway, so there were other actresses and presenters and writers and things, so it it wasn't that much of a rarity. But I do remember that probably when you were, must have been really late on, you know, so towards because you were only eight when I left, Mm. so probably when you were eight, being in a shop with you and some kids came in and you picked something up and said... Do we need one of these, Janet Ellis? <laughs> and I thought, ah. Oh. And up until then, I genuinely yeah. thought you weren't really that aware of it. You know, yeah. you were aware of the fact that you'd met Philip Schofield, but other people hadn't, and that was a big deal. Um, you were aware of, the fact, you know, obviously you came into the studio a couple of times. Although 
weirdly in the it's way to meet of a lot of, of children to be presented when I was little actually <laughs> I was quite starstruck regularly it's all the people you watch when you yeah. go home it's yeah, quite funny that's true. that's true but I don't you know that was the first time I thought that you had made that sort of connection to me mm. I think up till then it had been my job mm. rather than it being about me at all and now, yeah I do remember you because they had a very odd attitude really towards um you me having a child you know it was sort of initially acknowledged probably if you dig deep into the newspaper coverage of my arrival because that was news in those days um there was probably mention of it but only glancingly and there was mm. no there was no sort of interest and nobody came around and took photos of you nobody thought you know this was all pre-paparazzi anyway so nobody yeah. was that interested and then um it wasn't it wasn't a kind of because it was a children's program it wasn't a kind of odd fame in that I wasn't sort of doing something that was so weirdly away from anything you might understand. So it sat alongside to me. Is Angela sniffing into the microphone too much? Yeah, she did a bit. Oh, did she? Oh, you can have your say in a minute, Angela. Yeah, you can. Oh, actually, no, you can't. But, um, you know, because it was a children's programme, it ran alongside your timetable, mm. you know. So even if I hadn't had a child, I would have been totally aware of when school holidays were, you know, Mother's Day, all that kind of thing, because that's all we talked about for a year. But equally, the fact that I was a parent was never acknowledged. You know, it, the only times you were ever in the studio was once when I did a make and you poor little thing, you had to wear a snood made out of a J-cloth or a cloth like this, obviously, because BBC. Um, and then the only other time... didn't even know it was a J-cloth. It was a J-cloth. And the only other time, weirdly enough, I didn't even do the item. Karen did the item. The one with the bin bag dress. The one with the bin bag dress. Mm. I really lucked out in the fashion department really? both times. Amazing. <laughs> so I used to wash up dishes and then so I used to put the rubbish in. Yeah. No, it was no wonder they were struggling to find someone. <laughs> <laughs> Not struggling for viewers there. But it, but it is weird, isn't it, that, that you'd think now, if somebody was presenting a children's programme and had a child, that reference would be made from time to time. But yeah, we true. never did. We never did. But I think in terms of home life stuff, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you did something that made you very famous when I was young and then I ended up going into something that's in the public eye because, yeah. I mean, I'm, when I had my, I suppose it must have been my seventh or eighth birthday, we went to Madden Two Swords and you were able to make us skip the whole queue and go straight in. That is quite cool, actually. I thought it was the best thing ever. I mean, that was just so glamorous. It is. And then um, that poor little friend of yours was terrified, not of the Chamber of Horrors, but of the Battle of Trafalgar exhibit. Yes. Really scared of that. Well, so that was quite... I remember that, actually. They had noise and things, didn't they? And sort of gun smoke and... Yeah, but it wasn't the Chamber of Horrors. Anyway, no, okay. yeah, poor little thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we could probably do another four hours on children's parties, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. I know, it's funny. Mm. I, I was thinking that the other day when I was organising Kit's 11th birthday and I thought I didn't realise how much event planning I'd have to do <laughs> as a parent. Um, you know, because yes. it's quite a big deal to organise anything. Really. You know, if you're... If you have to, I don't know, organise your own birthday party, yeah. it feels like, oh, okay, there's the people, My and fun. who said yes, but then yeah, blah, blah, with, with yeah. five kids, and you know, They're five extra audience. birthday parties, and yeah, yeah, I mean, I kids one, you know, I hired a hall, and he had an entertainer, and it was all really lovely, and we'd done these really cool little going home presents of little mini figures, kit so mini sweet. figures. At the end of the birthday, I said to him, "Do you have a good time today, Kit?" He went, "Yeah, it wasn't the best." There was one where we, we took a whole load of kids when Jack was still at primary school, so let's say nine, to the Science Museum. Mm. And because there were sort of countable numbers, 
we thought, oh, well, why don't we just, why don't we get a minibus? Why don't we do a minibus? Mm. That'd be quite fun. They can all get on a minibus. And we all went on the minibus to the Science Museum and then we all came back on the minibus. One of these kids went, oh, it's just like a school trip. I thought, well, it, no, it isn't because we've really thought about this. Yeah. And also, it's more comfortable for you like this. Also, it's cost me money. Yes. <laughs> also, it's not. Oh, dear. But, then, yeah. but the good thing about having um, three children with quite a big age gap is that you could then, when, it, when I got old enough, use me to take the kids to their birthday parties. I'm thinking mainly of when I had to take Martha, aged, I think, six or seven, and three of her mates, and a stretch limo to yep. see five in concert. I remember waving you off. <sighs> waving you that off, was, and then coming back in the house, a long having evening. a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did all their makeup before we left as well. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. It was a proper outing, yeah. It was. Um, you don't even see stretch limos now, do you? They're just gone. Where are they all consigned? Yeah, it's true, actually. You used to see about five Maybe the novelties week, didn't you? worn off a bit. Yeah, um, that and the ceramic cafe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, ceramic cafe. I think those still exist. Do they? Yeah. They were the party du jour for a while, weren't they? Mm. They really were. I think the stretch, they're quite impractical, aren't they? And I feel like wherever you're going, it takes much longer, especially if you're going to Wembley to see five. Yeah, that must have been quite, <laughs> quite a stretch, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see Hanson with Jack when... Um, for Martha, you know, who was a big Hanson fan, mm. and Jack came along as well. And I think, I think he was the only boy. Really? Yes, yeah, just a sea of little <laughs> girls. Yeah, he, he took it well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, like I say, I don't, I didn't think that you thought that what I did was anything different because that's all I'd ever done. So you yeah. know, and and also it was all I'd ever done, and my only audience were children. Yes. <laughs> so so I, th- I thought it must have been quite weird when I went to things and other children wanted to say hello all the time. Yeah, whenever you got weird. mobbed, it was by people my height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I did, you know, for better or worse, I learned quite early as well the, the sort of currency of, you know, if I said, oh, I'm, my name's Sophie and my mum presents mm. Blue Peter, people <laughs> seem to want to be my friend a bit quicker. <laughs> so I that don't was think... Awful. Some of that was awful, though. Yeah, well, it, it, initially it would mean we'd become friends, but then mm. uh, after a little minute they'd realise, hang on a minute, there's more of us without that happening than yeah. you and I felt like there was a bit of ganging up that would happen. But um, I do remember that. You know, Not there was cool. literally the Against Sophie Club. There was. <laughs> A vast uh, membership, but nevertheless, the fact that they even thought... I hope it's not running anymore. That was a title. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, at but, least it's something I've been able to tell, you know, my kids, because, you know, primary school and secondary school can introduce you to some horrible situations and horrible yeah. social dynamics. And being able to say to them, look, there's literally been an against Sophie Club when I was <laughs> at school. Like, you can't really top that for... You can, it, no, it, that's it's equaled, but that's pretty And also, they, they do see you... Dealing with it, you know, I think you're very easy with it. You know, you, you still travel by public transport. and But not only that, if somebody comes up to you, you give them that moment, you know, but you don't actually shun them or make it plain that you'd really rather not. And, you know, I think that's it's good for your boys to see that as well. Yeah, and we don't talk about it. I mean, when I'm home, mm. um, I don't... There's no, they don't really want to hear about my no. day. They just want to hear about their day. And I think that's the thing that I've always really loved about having a slightly silly job. And that thing you were saying earlier about, you know, when I come in and you can just sort of mm. shed whatever's going on in my life. But I actually think that's very good for my head because, yeah, you know, it, it takes everything back to what's going on in their world. And I think it's just a healthier way to be, really. I don't really want to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what it's like to be me when I'm mm. at home. I don't think that's good. I don't want to be that kind of person. So I'd rather think about what they're doing. 
Yeah, no, they certainly get that, definitely. Mm. No, I think, I think overall there's a lot about how we are as, as parents that's very, very similar. Um, that's probably why we've always been so close and why I still value your advice above all else. And also, it's, it, you know, you, you are genuinely very good at advising so much so that even Richard said you've never said anything he doesn't agree with. Good Lord. I know. That's on tape now. Yeah, it is on tape, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Good Lord. Yeah. That's pretty nice. I know, really nice. It's <laughs> pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's something I might test. <laughs> <laughs> or you. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is good. But then... The lucky thing is that what you're doing with with um, your children is is what I hope I would have done with you. You know, it's a similar sort of feeling about supporting and loving and indulging. And, and also, I read this lovely quote from you know Daisy Haggard. You know who I mean, the girl who did um, After Life. I think it's called where she played the woman who came out of prison. Did oh you see yes, really? I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and she's in a new thing now. Uh, and about being a parent, mm-hmm. and she said she's got very small children, and she said. You know the thing that the thing that she's making with Martin Freeman is actually about not really enjoying parenthood. But she said, "I just, I just love it." You know, she said, "My, my husband and I, we're not, we're, we're sort of idiots, and now we've got two more real idiots in the house." <laughs> That's so lovely, isn't it? They just that love these people who are not quite people yet. Yeah, because that is the thing about having children, isn't it? There's this extraordinary new person coming in with yes. all their strange ideas and appetites and abilities and you know sitting the wrong way around on the loo I mean they are you know they're completely they are not not idiots exactly but they are just new and I find that intoxicating yeah definitely I think that's what I loved about having Mm. you know so many as each one comes along you think oh how are they going to change everything yeah what are they going to bring to the party being a grandparent too that you know you get this chance to read all the books again and explore things again and hear all those strange opinions again. Because mm-hmm. then I went, when, when you first had Sunny, there, there were a few people saying to me, you know, well, you wouldn't want to be called grandma, will you? You know, what are you going to do? And I thought, well, you bet I am. First of all, yeah. grandma is the name I've bagsied. Yeah. And second, I don't want anyone to mistake this relationship. Angela, and in fact, when you were... And she's getting so close. When you were in... <laughs> um, she's just... I know, she's getting now. No, it's okay. Rising above. Um, when you were in hospital after you'd had Sunny... And I came in to see you, and one of the a nurse came up to me and said, um, uh, "Are you look, where, where's your baby?" or something like that about my baby. And I just, I thought, I'm so glad that I don't feel it should be. Mm. And I, I had wondered, especially as Sunny was early, whether or not it would feel a bit odd going in. You know, after the last few times I'd been in hospital to do with babies, were not particularly happy. And I can honestly say it didn't. It did not resonate at all. Did not. Thank goodness. Yeah, I know that's healthy. That's well. I suppose that's all part of seeing everybody and everything as their own individual story. Yeah. And I, you know, when Sonny was here, he was he was the baby for the whole family. He you know? was not yeah. just not just my baby, but you know <laughs> that's what I've loved about. Mm. So one of the things I wasn't expecting about parenthood is the joy of seeing your child forming relationships that have nothing to do with you with other significant people you love in your life so you know the the, what sunny has with my brother jack it's Mm. got nothing to do with me it's just their own thing and i really love that i love the fact that it just grows and uh, you know and like i know you still feel like that because i remember like last week when i messaged you to say oh i've just spoken to jack on the phone and i'm meeting martha for lunch Mm. and you were like oh my heart (laughs) or whatever i thought yeah that must actually feel really nice when your kids are still doing things together all three of you know how much that means to me (laughs) meet up when i haven't actually engineered it exactly (laughs) didn't even need to tell us (laughs) no that was nice 
Ja. Yeah. <laughs> you had a nice time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all good. <laughs> no, no, I, I like that. I like the idea that you'll be support for each other too. Yeah. What definitely. you are now. Pretty sure. Yeah. Things that's, being that's, out there. always and forever. Hello. So that was the um, the chat that I had with my mum, and even before um, this week, and I'll tell you why that's significant in a minute. But even before what happened this week, I was already feeling a bit emotional about um, putting out that conversation with my mum because we recorded it back in March, and at that point, I remember hugging her goodbye, and then I didn't hug her again for a really long time. Um, it's a real privilege to interview your your own parents. What a strange sentence that is, but it is nice to get answers to questions you don't normally ask and to see them in 360 a little bit more. Um, and as you can probably tell from the conversation, my mum and I are very close, we're very lucky. Um, but this conversation has taken on new significance too because... As you can probably hear, I'm recording in an uncharacteristically quiet house. It's early in the morning. Um, I've got four of my children asleep and our lovely nanny Abra took my little one, Mickey, last night because yesterday my stepdad, John, he died in the morning. And um, so it's been nice to have a little bit of time to think. And I didn't want to tell you and record a new introduction for the chat this week because I didn't want you to think about that and be crying all the way through like I would have probably done but but it is relevant because my mum and John had the happiest marriage and were such a unit and I don't know, I don't really know where I'm going with this but I just thought it was I don't know, strange timing I've been releasing these conversation slightly out of chronological order because it kind of made sense to me to do that. I wanted some before lockdown, some after, uh, just to get different perspectives. But I had it in my head, okay, the one with my mum this week. And then and then John died and now it's all much more emotional. Anyway, um, I'll just park it there, I think. I'm sat here in a quiet room with a, a cat on my lap and time to think. And thanks for joining me. I will see you again next week. What's that? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.